0: they here. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh?
1: Whatever you do, don't fall asleep.
0: They're coming for you, Barbara. Hey what's up everybody welcome to Midwest Movie Maniacs I'm Damian D and I'm Mark Storm and today we are going to be discussing a fan film which may seem a little bit odd but we want to talk about Friday the 13th since our last movie was a rip-off of Friday the 13th and rather than do one of the movies that have been reviewed a million times we're going to do a new movie that came out that is a movie that's called Jason Rising. It is on YouTube, it is free to watch, and it is 57 minutes long, so it's a pretty quick watch. We will have a a lot of spoilers in this episode, so if you intend to watch the movie, I would recommend pausing this right now. Go watch the movie and then come back. In fact, go ahead and do that. We'll wait. And welcome back. We hope you enjoyed the movie. So uh, the reason why there's been so many fan films coming out, quite a few people are aware of this, but you may not all know, that there is a big legal battle going on. Basically, Sean S. Cunningham and Victor Miller are having issues because Victor Miller used the Copyright Act of 1976 to reclaim the rights to of the 13th since he wrote the script. Cunningham argued that Miller was only an employee and had no rights. But a court decided in 2018 that Miller does have rights to the movie and he was granted rights and Cunningham appealed the ruling and here we are. That appeal is being held up in court and until they resolve that issue, we won't get any new Friday the 13th movies, which sucks because Blumhouse has expressed an interest in doing a remake, which will hopefully be better than the last remake. I heard that LeBron James has expressed interest in doing a remake, And Corey Feldman has expressed interest in doing a Friday the 13th versus Halloween or Jason versus Michael Myers, where he would reprise his role as Tommy Jarvis and he wants to bring in Danielle Harris from the Halloween franchise and that can't happen until they settle this lawsuit. So settle the damn lawsuit. Exactly. So until then we get fan films such as this one. And so that's where we are. We're going to be reviewing this one, which we both actually enjoyed it is worth watching. So once again, if you haven't watched it, go do that. So to start off here, we're going to kind of run through some of the people in this movie, some of the actors and some notable things that they've done. First off, we have Kyle, I believe it's Vahan, who plays Sheriff Pete Daltry, one of our main characters. He appeared on the television series Grimm from 2012 to 2015, and also appeared in several other short films, uh, Nothing Stood Out. Next up, we've got Anna Campbell, who plays Deputy Eve Glover, another one of our main characters, she appeared on several shows, including Veronica Mars, Mad Men, Without a Trace, Castle, and Grimm. Yep, another person who was in Grimm. She was also an associate producer of this very movie we're speaking of today. Then we move along to Jerry Bell Jr., who plays Marshall Bear Wilson. He has appeared on several short films and also appeared on grim from 2012 to 2013 so yes there is definitely a pattern going on here then we get to uh jason reynolds who played marshall jed daniels he appeared in several short films but nothing noteworthy so we're just going to move along to lisa Sorensen, who played serena patrick she's been on investigation discovery series the wonderland murders and in a couple of short films So, I mean, they've got some people on here that do have experience. They're not just a whole bunch of like unheard of nobodies. Um, then we move along. We've got Jenny Vaughn who played Bobby Walker. She's actually appeared in quite a few things, including the remake of Prom Night and several TV shows that go back quite a ways, including Beverly Hills, 90210, ER, NYPD Blue, Home Improvement, Six Feet Under and Desperate Housewives to name a few. I think I like the sound of Desperate Hot Wives better. Yes, Desperate Hot Wives would be an appropriate name for that show. Then we get Elizabeth Garrett, who was Alexandria Palmer. She appeared on The Wonderland Murders on Investigation Discovery as well. And then we move along to Dan Kyle, who played Jason Voorhees and also played Sheriff Thomas Daltrey at the beginning of the film. He was also on the TV show Grimm. Then the actress who played Pamela Voorhees in this was Alexandria McCormick. This was her only project. I just felt she needed to be mentioned because, you know, Pamela Voorhees. And then what I thought was interesting was the voice of Pamela Voorhees was done by Christina Haddad. Very interesting choice to use a different actress to do the voice, but her voice has been heard on film in the movie You Don't Mess With the Zohan, which if you've seen it, you may know it. I haven't seen it because it looks stupid to me. And then finally, we get to the producer, Robert Blanche, and here would be the connection. He also appeared on Grimm from 2012 to 2017, which explains why most of the cast are people who were on that show. Obviously, they all knew each other, and they've stayed in touch. And finally, this last person has done nothing else other than this movie, but I just felt she should be mentioned strictly because her name is Jennifer Voorhees. And that's the most appropriate name for a producer on a Friday the 13th movie.
1: Yeah, I, I must have totally missed that when I was jotting notes or whatever. I must
0: have glanced down. I did not I did not catch that, uh,
1: that Voorhees name in the credits.
0: Yeah, she was listed the very last in the list of about 20 to 25 producers. Her name was last on that list. And I caught Voorhees and it caught my eye. So... She hasn't done anything else. I just thought it was interesting that her name is Voorhees and she loves Friday the 13th and jumped on as producer on a fan film. So with that being said, we're going to now jump into the plot of this movie. Uh, we're going to give you another warning here. Spoilers ahead. Many, many spoilers. We're pretty much going to tell you the whole damn story. So if you don't want anything spoiled, pause, go watch the movie, come back. We'll still be here when you get back. Go now. Yes, by all means. It's on YouTube and it's free. You have no reason not to. You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on your TV, your computer, wherever you watch YouTube shit. So the movie now opens. We see the dictionary definition of the word curse, a solemn utterance intended to invoke a supernatural power to inflict harm or punishment on someone or something. This will make sense later. At this point, you're kind of like, what? There's no curses in the Friday the 13th movies but there kind of is in this one anyway. So we get the voiceover. We hear a man talking about his dad, telling him a story about Jason and his mother, Pamela. And as he talks, the camera is panning down to what appears to be a very dead Jason Voorhees lying on the ground, surrounded by crime scene tape. And this man mentions that Jason has killed 37 people and was fatally wounded by a 12-year-old boy, which of course would be Tommy Jarvis, This leads me to believe that this movie picks up after part four. And I guess we just ignore all the other movies in the franchise.
1: If I had a choice, I would probably ignore Jason X.
0: Yeah, but then you'd be at the end. So I guess we're jumping back in the timeline quite a ways with this. And then, of course, he says, but that wasn't the end. And now we see a truck pull up to a gate. The sheriff and two of his deputies jump out. There's a chain securing the gate, and they uh, cut the chain very easily. I love how in movies, people always just cut through metal chains like they're made out of butter. One thing I just, I just want to add
1: was if they had secured the gate, not with the chain, but with the sheriff's mustache, nobody would have gotten that son of a bitch because that was the mother of all mustaches. That thing was a beast.
0: Fuck yeah. That mustache was so magnificent, it should have its own Instagram account. I would definitely follow the shit out of that account.
1: Yeah, it looked like he walked off the set of like Tombstone or something like that.
0: He was rocking a mustache for sure. I and mean, since he's the same guy who played Jason, it makes you wonder, was he rocking that mustache under the hockey mask the whole time? Part of you thinks maybe,
1: oh, was it a fake mustache? But
0: there's a, there's a little part of me that really wants to believe
1: that, that mustache was legitimate. That it was really his mustache.
0: Yeah, it definitely looked real. It did not look like a fake mustache, but maybe they got a really good fake mustache. So they cut that chain and the uh, female deputy, which I'm just going to call them male deputy and female deputy, because I don't think their names were ever mentioned.
1: Yeah, I don't believe they were mentioned either.
0: And At this point, we see them digging what appears to be a grave. And we see that the sheriff has a very large crate in the back of his pickup truck. So as they pick this box up to uh, drop it into the hole, we get our first glimpse of what's inside the box. And it is, of course, Jason Voorhees
1: looking very dead. But I mean, how many times have we seen Jason looking very dead in the past? You know, that's probably not going to last. Otherwise, this would be the shortest review we've ever done. Right. And probably the shortest friday the 13th movie ever
0: right this pretty much would be the end here they just throw dirt on it and the end goodbye so the sheriff tells the deputies to hop down and secure the chains that are down there and uh they just kind of look at him like are you fucking kidding me i nah, get in
1: that fucking hole
0: yeah they're like we're not stupid dude and then uh, he gets pissed off and he jumps down there to do it himself um then of course he gets it locked up i'm gonna say that the chains were rather loose i think i would have put them a little bit tighter before locking them but I guess you know he assumes Jason's dead. There's not really any major issue.
1: Right. But if Jason's that dead, why are you even bothering to lock it?
0: Yeah, I guess just to be sure, because you know it is Jason. Uh so then the sheriff spits on the box. And I guess this spit is magical because Jason's hand comes busting up through the box and grabs a hold of his leg. I would like to note that Jason had some long ass black fingernails when he gets out of that box, the first thing he needs to do is get a fucking manicure.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, let's be honest. It can't Crystal Lake. How many places are you really gonna go for a manicure? Uh, just to touch on this real quick, I would have to say that I absolutely, I love the scene. I thought it was it was very well done, built a lot of suspense. I was kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, hanging on every single moment leading up to this. And then when that hand broke through the coffin, it truly was an oh shit moment for me. So right off the bat, I had a feeling this was going to be a very good movie, despite being a fan film. Because I was very impressed with the cinematography. I'm like, this doesn't look hokey. It doesn't look cheesy. It looks professionally done. So uh, yeah, I I really love this opening scene and how it was done.
0: Yeah, they definitely did a good job. These people definitely put some time and work into this movie.
1: And then I was just going to say I was equally impressed when it went into the opening title sequence. I thought the graphics um, were extremely high quality. Didn't look like it was something that somebody had just slapped together on the computer and added a corny little scroll to it. It, uh, it was high quality.
0: Right. Unlike the last movie we reviewed where the title was just like generic font typed on the screen. Uh, this one, they definitely had a decent font. And then it was overlaid over a very red skyline with a forest in it. So it was a nice. But I uh, just wanted to mention right before we saw that title screen, the uh, deputies did throw dirt onto the uh, box, burying a very much alive Jason Voorhees in the ground. And then we got the title card. And then we move to, I guess, the present now. We've jumped ahead in time. We see a new sheriff driving along through a cemetery. Uh, he stops. He's out of the car and walks up to a gravestone that says Thomas Daltry the sheriff begins to uh, talk to the gravestone and he calls the person dad. So we would assume that Thomas Daltry perhaps was the sheriff at the beginning of the movie and this new sheriff is his son.
1: The, yeah, that was the connection that I had made that law enforcement was apparently in their veins and then he took out over his father's legacy after his father was apparently killed.
0: Maybe he died of fear, knowing that Jason was alive in that dirt and that someday could return. But basically, the new sheriff doesn't really have a lot to say. Basically, just says life is pretty boring and nothing major happens in town other than an occasional lost dog. And then at this point, we hear him say Eve is finally starting to take her job seriously. And we cut to a scene of who we assume must be Eve. She gets a call on the radio and they ask her to inform the sheriff that there is a 187 at the corrections farm.
1: As a uh, fan of 80s and 90s hip-hop, I must say, when I heard 187, my ears did perk up a little bit. (laughs) So one of the few police radio codes that I actually know what it is, I was like, oh, shit,
0: somebody's dead already. Yes, thanks to Mr. Snoop Dogg. And Dr. Dre. Yes. Rolling in my six-fold. They definitely let us know. So the deputy calls the sheriff and lets him know and then asks him if he could get her a cup of coffee on the way, which he's quite perturbed by. Well... and. In her defense, a person's already dead. They're not, their odds are they're not going anywhere. Exactly. But I did notice that he did not bring her any coffee.
1: Right. Because he takes the job very seriously. That's how he got promoted to sheriff. Exactly. Not just being daddy's boy.
0: Right. So the two arrive at the uh, farm and they are met by U.S. Marshals Bear and Jed. I don't know if their names are said at that point, but throughout the film, I did gather that there were their names bear
1: wilson and jed daniels yeah bears a very very large man
0: yeah bear's name gets said a lot i definitely know that but jed's name doesn't get mentioned much they just talk to him they don't talk about him very often and so uh the marshals take them into the building so they can see the corrections officer who's been killed we see him lying on the ground in a body bag and then we get a random severed penis just hey there's somebody's dick got cut off (laughs) clearly we know it's his dick that got cut off but there really is no explanation as to why the escaping prisoners cut this man's dick off
1: well i mean it leaves a little element of imagination where who knows maybe the corrections officer was acting inappropriately came on to the more attractive one and they took exception to it and killed him and hacked off his wiener, I'm not sure. But either way, this guy is dead, sans wiener.
0: Right. Yeah, I kind of wish that they would have even had a scene where one of the inmates would have mentioned, you know, like, that motherfucker put his hands on me or something along the lines that gave us an indication that it wasn't just a random severing of the penis. Right. Because, I mean, if you're looking to escape from prison, I mean, isn't the main thing...
1: I mean, I'm not a killer, but if you're going to kill somebody to try to escape, wouldn't they just simply you know cut his throat you know something to go to the extent and take the time to sever his penis that tells me that there was uh there was something personal went on there and uh this is why they decided to whack his noodles
0: exactly so they all head out and um deputy glover gets a call on her phone and they gave her we have info on the escaped inmates we have serena patrick age 27 was serving 10 years for armed robbery and assault We have Bobby Walker, age 33, was serving 15 years for the murder of her ex-wife. And we have Alexandra Palmer, 22, serving five years for hit and run while drunk driving. So Bear uh, says that he's heading out into the woods to find the women. He's going to go out alone. You know, you run off alone into the woods. That's always a smart thing to do. Well, at this point, they think Jason's dead. He's a very large man.
1: He's armed. It's. Three three escaped fugitive females. I mean, not to take anything away from females whatsoever, but I mean, Bear's a big man. You think he could?
0: Probably he probably has confidence that he can handle himself, especially
1: with his with his training in law enforcement.
0: Maybe, but I kind of feel like the three of them may have still been able to overpower him.
1: Right, but I mean, if we as we see later in the film, not to give anything away, but we do see that Bear can throw hands, so you know,
0: yes. So then we see the inmates arriving at a fence. And Serena hops over the fence pretty easily, and then Bobby says she can't climb the fence because she's a larger woman. And uh, Serena pretty much says, oh well.
1: Maybe if you climbed a few more fences, Bobby.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Bobby then tells her, suck my dick. And Serena takes off into the woods, leaving Alex and Bobby on the other side of the fence. Clearly, she doesn't care about them. So then uh, Serena pulls out a cell phone and sends a text message that says, getting close, where are you? And um, they never explained why she had a cell phone. I know I have heard some prisoners sneak cell phones in and some prisons allow cell phones, but it just seems odd that they would let her have it when she's working at the farm. Right.
1: And I mean, you would think, okay, well, maybe she took it off for the corrections officer that they murdered. But then it's like, how would she know her sister's number? Because speaking from personal experience, This day and age with everything programmed in a cell phone, I don't remember shit for people's phone numbers. Uh, Exactly. My wife and I have been together for 11 years now. She's had her same phone number the whole time, and I probably just finally got it memorized about four years ago. That's how bad it is as far as me remembering phone numbers. So, yeah, I'm thinking she probably had this hidden somewhere with Lydia's phone number programmed into it.
0: Exactly. So, we see a random girl in a canoe, and she gets to the shore and receives a text message that we can't see what it says. Then she hears a noise and says, Hey sis, is that you? So now we know this is Serena's sister. And the sheriff and Jed arrive at the fence that the inmates had jumped over. And Jed asks what's beyond that fence to which the sheriff says, just some land that's been wrapped up in a legal battle for a couple of decades. And I can't help but think that this is a subtle jab at the lawsuit that I talked about at the beginning of the episode here because I don't remember ever hearing of any legal issues in any of the movies involving Camp Crystal Lake.
1: Yeah, I didn't really pick up on that. I just assumed that maybe it was just some kind of excuse as far as why they had the fence up because I just thought it made for better theater for them to be jumping a fence rather than just walking straight into the woods. So good catch by you.
0: Right. I would assume that the fence would have been put up after all the murders took place, that they were basically saying this place is off limits because multiple murders here, but the lawsuit thing kind of came out of nowhere. That's why I'm, I'm thinking it might've just been a little tongue in cheek jab at the actual lawsuit. It probably was. Then we get Bobby and Alex in a cabin and somebody comes out with a bag on their head, very reminiscent of Jason in Friday the 13th part two, But surprise it's Serena, which I mean, the body type didn't make sense because it clearly wasn't Jason, but I get where they were going. She was just trying to scare them. Not, I guess, not necessarily us.
1: Yeah. I think it was just a nice little Easter egg they threw in there. I enjoyed it and caught it right away. That's the irony of the sack, especially this, the uh, conversation that we had prior as far as my experience watching Friday the 13th and Jason in the sack, so.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to assume when she stepped out with that sack on, you shit yourself.
1: Yeah, I I did. There's a little, I was like, hey, was that a fart? I don't know if that was a fart. So that, at this point I had to pause the movie and go and check. So everything turned out just fine. Uh, we didn't have another fictitious Hooters experience or anything like that. So,
0: <laughs> so then uh, Serena proceeds to tell them that they are at Camp Crystal Lake. Then she goes on to tell them the story of Jason and Mrs. Voorhees, and then says, they say his body is still buried somewhere in this camp. At this point, we cut to a scene of a crying Pamela Voorhees, intermixed with several random headstones, and then we come upon a headstone that says Pamela Voorhees, and at this point, a crusty old hand comes thrusting up from the dirt. Then we see a decaying, headless Pamela Voorhees lurching along, heading towards Camp Crystal Lake. This part was kind of strange to me because there was never really any explanation why the headless Pamela Voorhees just suddenly reanimated and burst from the ground. So it was kind of goofy, but it wasn't horrible. Like it didn't make me not like the movie
1: exactly yeah that was one of the very few complaints that i had i'm just kind of watching it i'm like yeah don't necessarily know about this you know especially knowing that just about every movie imaginable to stop somebody dead in their tracks you cut their head off right because there's no brain activity their body can't move etc etc so then i don't know maybe this goes back to the curse maybe it was witchcraft you know that's never necessarily revealed But yeah, I did find the walking around headless corpse kind of a little little strange. But yeah, definitely not enough to to turn me off of this movie by any means.
0: Right. I assumed that the curse at the beginning, the reference to a curse, comes into play here. That there's a, a Voorhees family curse, or Camp Crystal Lake is cursed, or just Crystal Lake in general. And this would be why her body returns. So she's lurching along. She's heading to Crystal Lake. And then we cut to the grave of Jason and we move down into the grave and see Jason inside his makeshift casket and there's worms crawling around on his face. And we get a scene of his eyeball rolled back in his head and it rolls forward to look up and the worms are crawling across his eye. The eye is clearly not a real eye, but the the scene was still pretty cool. So at this point, Serena's sister gets a text message. Then she hears what sounds like a small child yell, help me. And she says, Serena, is that you? Because apparently in her world, Serena sounds like a small child. So we see uh, the decrepit, decaying hand that we saw earlier, but this time it's picking up a hammer that's just laying in a bunch of random shit on the ground. And headless Pamela attacks Serena's sister with the hammer and proceeds to beat the shit out of her. Uh, One thing on here that kind of bugged me was there was CGI blood effects. And it kind of bugs me because it's like, just make some fake blood. You can buy fake blood at a Halloween store and throw some fake blood around. CGI blood just always looks hokey. But, I mean, it's kind of a common thing nowadays. So, it is going to be what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the scene. I thought it was, I thought overall it was solid aside from the CGI blood. Yeah,
0: yeah, the blood didn't kill the scene. It's just one of those little, like, pet peeves I have, but it wasn't enough to go, oh, God, this is horrible. Like, no, it was still a a nice scene watching her get the shit beat out of her by uh, Headless Pamela. Um, And then at this point, Headless Pamela thrusts her hand into the ground and pulls out a chain, then proceeds to pull Jason's entire wooden coffin out of the ground, which tells me that Headless Pamela is fucking strong. It takes a lot of strength to pull that maneuver off.
1: It's that, it's that curse, the power
0: of the curse. Yes, yes. And then she further proves her strength when she snaps the chains with her bare hands. She just pops them off like they're nothing. And um, Jason lifts the lid up on the box and sits up. And, well, we, we hear Pamela saying, rise, my son. And then Jason sits up and she hands him a gigantic machete. Like, this machete is fucking huge, like super long. And I have
1: I have to say that I actually really really enjoyed this scene the fact that when jason actually sits up there's no doubt about it pamela is dead and decomposed and rotted flesh and whatnot but when jason is looking at her he has seen her like she looked back when he was a little boy she i mean she looked immaculate just like she did before her death not a flaw on her as far as jason was concerned And uh, I thought that was was a really nice effect as far as what was going on in Jason's mind and despite everything that happened, how he still perceived his mother.
0: Right. He definitely sees his mother very much alive. And I don't even think he sees her as right before her death because she's quite young. This version of Pamela is very young. So I'm assuming that he sees her as like her younger self. Mm -hmm. Probably more the way she looked before he drowned in the lake. That's probably the version of his mother that he remembers. Right. And so then we see uh, Serena. She sneaks off into the woods, and then um, she comes upon her sister, who is uh, bloodied up and laying in the now empty grave of Jason Voorhees. And uh, at this point, this is when we actually find out her sister's name was Lydia, because she says her name. Up until this point, I didn't have any idea if her sister even had a name.
1: Right. Yeah, that's where I picked up the the name Lydia. And uh, what I found ironic about this scene was. Um, you're probably gonna to get to this part, but the fact that she had the brilliant idea to retreat into a boat.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll get to uh we'll, we'll get to the boat in a second. Sorry, go we'll ahead. get there. Because after she finds her sister, she's, she obviously runs up to her, you know, runs over to her body to check on her to see if there's any chance she's still alive. And then we see Jason walk up and he's standing over her, like hovering over her. She looks up and sees him and does the smart thing, which is run away. And then uh, at this point, she climbs into the canoe and starts paddling with her hand out into the water. Which, I mean, if you don't know anything about Jason, it's a it's a smart thing to do because you figure well, if I get out in the water, he can't get to me. I can get away.
1: But knowing what we know about Jason, first thing I thought was, I'm like, oh, you
0: dumbass. Right. Well, she's a dumbass prior to the reason you're saying because she doesn't take the rope that's securing the canoe. It's laying on the beach. And as she's rowing out, Jason picks up the rope and starts pulling her back towards the shore. So she's not going anywhere. And at this point, she takes the oar and smacks Jason with it, knocking his mask off. And then she turns and looks and he's gone. So she begins rowing out into the water again. And then here we get the scene, which is obviously referencing the first movie where Jason once again leaps up out of the water And grabs her and pulls her down into the boat, you know, mirroring what he did in the first movie.
1: And I love the music overlaying the scene. Uh, Just definitely built the anticipation as you knew something was about to happen. But uh, yeah, I thought the music here was very well done as far as just kind of building up that sense of dread.
0: Right. I mean, you knew it was going to happen. You knew something was definitely going to happen. She wasn't going to get away. But it was a it was a nice touch having him jump out of the water. And the the scene was almost identical to the scene when he jumps out of the water in the first one. So they did a good job of recreating that scene with a grown Jason. And I like the fact that his mask had been knocked off. So, you know, he didn't have the mask on in the original movie the first time he did that. So it was a nice touch for them to have him be unmasked during that scene.
1: A yeah, the fan of me definitely enjoyed yet another one of those subtle little nods to the previous films of the franchise.
0: About, I don't know if this one was really subtle. This one was kind of a right out there in your face nod to the first one. And then we get a random scene where the sheriff calls Glover and is talking to Glover on the radio. And she appears to be squatting in the woods, taking a pee, which I thought was just kind of an odd scene. I guess it was it was just meant to be a, you know, like a moment of humor. Uh, I mean, I like it because it's like very rarely in
1: movies do you ever really see anybody go into the bathroom. Occasionally in these horror movies and stuff, you might see a guy walk out in the middle of the woods. But I just I felt like it had a little uh, little flash of realism there. And, you know, because you're like sitting and watching it, and you're like, wait a
0: second. Does anybody ever pee? There have been a few times, but generally when somebody does go to pee, uh, they get killed in the act.
1: And maybe that's what this scene was meant to do was maybe possibly to build a little little anticipation that make you think that maybe Jason was going to offer right there because nine times out of 10, when you see somebody peeing in one of these movies, that's what happens.
0: It's possible. It's possible.
1: It's a red herring. (laughs)
0: Could be. So then we see Serena crawling out of the water on her hands and knees and Jason comes up behind her. And at this point, he grabs a hold of her hair and shoves the long-ass machete through the back of her head, and it comes out through her mouth. Holy
1: shit. Not to cut you off, but I absolutely love this fucking scene. I was like... I think I made an audible outburst when I saw that. I was... Completely blown away. Uh felt it was extremely realistic. You know, some of those scenes, something like that, you would all automatically think, Oh, this has got to look really hokey, you know. And I felt it was very, very realistic. Although I've never seen somebody have a machete shut through the back of their head and out their mouth. But uh yeah, I thought it was an absolutely wicked kill scene. So sorry, didn't mean to cut you off, but I got really excited when talking it, about
0: it, I stuff. mean yeah, it was done well. They they didn't actually show the the machete going into her head, it was a it was a quick cut. But it was done so well, it was one of them scenes where your brain filled it in. Right. And you definitely saw it coming, coming out of her mouth. Right, right. But I, I watched this movie twice because I, I watched it once to take notes and then I watched it again just to kind of get the whole overall flow of the movie. And the first time that I watched it, I, I could have sworn that the machete, you, like you saw the actual act of it going through her head. The second time I realized it was a cut scene and it was definitely coming out of her mouth, which was done very well. I'm going to assume that the actress just had to hold the machete in her mouth. And if if that's the case, she did it well because it wasn't wobbly or anything. I mean, it looked like it was solidly coming through her mouth and there was blood dripping off of it. So they definitely did an excellent job on that scene. Yes. And so obviously at this point, Serena is definitely dead. And so the sheriff and Glover, they are exploring a cabin that they've come upon And uh, Glover finds an old mattress with blood stains all over it. And then she comes upon a really nasty looking toilet. And I'm not sure, but I think there might've been shit in the toilet.
1: I did not look that closely at the (laughs) toilet,
0: I apologize. Yeah, (laughs) I I mean, they showed the toilet and I'm like, is that shit in the toilet? That's pretty fucking gross. But even if it wasn't, the toilet was still pretty gross. And then we cut to Jason walking through the woods and now he's carrying a very large ax. And uh, then we, uh, we see the mask, the exact same mask that was in uh, Bloody Murder, the movie we reviewed in our last episode, and scares the shit out of the sheriff, and it turns out that it's Glover playing a joke on the sheriff. I don't know if this was intentional, if this was them, you know, kind of poking fun at that movie or if they even are aware. I'm going to assume as diehard fans, they're aware of the uh, ripoff movie that was made.
1: Yeah, I will say that the scene definitely did its job, which was it scared the ever-living shit out of me because I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, they did a fucking crossover. I got to watch this fucking shit again. Here we go. (laughs) But uh, yeah, when the mask came off and it was revealed that it was Glover. I breathed a sigh of relief.
0: Right. And then she says, I'm, I think this thing is giving me a staph infection, which was a weird line. But then the, the sheriff follows that up with, you're a real Amy Schumer, which then led me to say, is Amy Schumer even still a thing? Yeah, she's
1: kind of fallen off a little bit here recently.
0: Yeah, the last I know of Amy Schumer, she had a show on the Food Network called Amy Schumer Learns to Cook or something like that where she was just at her house learning how to cook. I didn't even watch it. So I don't know if it was any good or not, but other than that, I don't think she's really doing a whole lot, but maybe at the time when they were writing this movie, she was still out there doing things. So now we see Jason and he's kneeling down in front of his mother's head inside of his little cabin. And she tells him it's time to punish them for what they did to us for what they did to you. And then she tells him make them suffer for what they did.
1: Yeah, side note, uh, I got a little bit nervous when I saw Jason with his dead mother's head. Um, gave me flashbacks to a movie that we watched together many, many moons ago called Violent Shit. If you have not seen this movie, don't fucking bother. But uh, there is a disturbing scene with a psycho killer and his mother's head, and I will just leave that alone. So, uh yeah, when things did not transpire the way that movie did, I... Uh, again breathed a sigh of relief
0: well i will say this if you are a gore hound you could check that movie out because it is extremely gory though admittedly the gore effects are very cheesy and generic but there is a lot of really graphic gory shit in that movie other than that yeah i mean the movie is not good by any means but pretty it's
1: worth a watch pretty tasteless even by horror movie standards it's it's pretty tasteless
0: Yes, there's definitely a lot of tasteless shit in that movie, but uh, it's worth a watch if you enjoy gore. If you wanna see some good, well, some not good gore, but some extreme gore, it's it's worth checking out. Otherwise, yeah, avoid it. It's not a good movie. So uh, then we we cut to the marshal calling the sheriff on the radio, telling him he found some sort of crate or a coffin and that there's chains all around it on the ground and on the top it says, do not open we see that the sheriff is visibly unnerved by this. Glover asks the sheriff uh, what's wrong because he's clearly upset and he says, it's nothing. So now we see Alex and Bobby discussing Serena leaving them behind. At this point, for some reason, Alex takes off on her own and leaves Bobby behind. Bobby is a larger woman. So she gets winded trying to chase after Alex and she leans up against a tree to catch her breath. At this point, Jason walks up with that large ax that we saw him carrying earlier, and plunks it into her head, then swings the machete with the other hand, chops her head right off, and we see her head bouncing across the ground. So she's very much dead, and Jason drags her body off, leaving her shoe behind. And then we get, uh, my note says Bear scares the shit out of Jed, but I don't know how he scared him. I think he just walks up on him
1: yeah i think that's basically all it is
0: okay so then we had alex had injured her leg i honestly don't remember how she injured a leg uh, but she was checking it out and we see somebody with the bag on their head come from behind a tree obviously one would think this is probably just serena playing a joke again except this person pulls the bag off and it's jason
1: and i lost my shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought it was interesting that he was wearing the hockey mask under the bag mask. So he clearly listens to the CDC when they recommend double masking.
1: Right. And what I found interesting, not to take away from what you just said, but what I found interesting was the fact that the idea that he put the sack over his head. So apparently Jason wasn't too far away and must have been watching it from a distance or whatever when Serena had the mask on earlier. Because for him to know to put the bag on over his mask again, yeah, I thought was uh, interesting.
0: It wouldn't surprise me because we do see on several occasions, Jason is in the background just watching as people are walking or running or doing their thing. So I think it's made pretty clear that he is kind of stalking these people and watching what they're doing. So right. Yeah. he's Sorry. Go ahead. No, well, he's he's not
1: like just one of these maniacs that just comes out of nowhere just hacking, 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 hacking. He's, there, that's the thing about Jason. He's always been, you know, very methodical. You know, he doesn't run, he, walk, he walks pretty much everywhere he goes, you know, when people least expect it. I mean, Jason's a fucking ninja in a hockey mask is basically what he is.
0: Pretty much. He runs occasionally, but only if he really has to. He'd much rather just walk because he knows where he's going and he knows he'll get there nine times out of 10, he'll get there before they do. So it's like, why do I need to run? I know how to get there. I mean, he knows the woods, he knows every shortcut. He can get anywhere he needs to go quickly.
1: Exactly, he doesn't like the back of decayed, rotted hand.
0: <laughs> exactly. So then uh, we had Alex running away from Jason, because you know, that's the smart thing to do. But then of course, as would be the case in most horror movies, she trips and falls. And then Jason runs up on her with an ax, and swings the axe over his head we don't actually see what happens but we can only imagine that she was his intended target and the uh marshal and the sheriff and the deputy hear this and they go to investigate and they find alex and we get confirmation that jason did successfully kill her murder her as she's stuck to a tree with that huge machete shoved right through her chest and holding her up on the tree and i think she also had rope wrapped around her
1: yeah which i found rather interesting the fact that not only did he take an axe to her and a machete to her but then he proceeded to tire he was making sure that bitch wasn't going anywhere
0: yeah i guess he was like i'm gonna make sure she don't get away but maybe he tied her up then stuck the machete through her
1: just when you think you're dead and uh all of a sudden you pop up that's my shit you ain't see you ain't biting my shit bitch
0: exactly so uh once again everybody decides to split up and all goes their separate ways And uh, at this point, we hear uh, Jed tell Glover that he heard that this place had a death curse, which is, of course, a reference to Crazy Ralph from the original movie when he said,
1: It's got a death
0: curse. And so uh, maybe this was the curse that brought Pamela back from the dead. Then we see the sheriff and Bear and they indicate that they found another body. Glover discovers Serena's body and then uh, the sheriff calls and tells him over the radio that they found Bobby. And then at this point, Jed says, this makes three. Does that mean we're done here? There is somebody who obviously killed all these people. But you think now that you found the three people you were looking for, you can just be like, yeah, we don't give a shit about the person who killed these people. We're done. We can go home.
1: Do you really want to bag on Jed for being the fucking smart one and Being like, like, uh, hey, yeah, let's just get the fuck out of here? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking you're just being a little too, too judgmental. I think he was one of the more intelligent ones that he just wanted to uh, peace out.
0: Well, you say intelligent. I say chicken shit. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Bear and the sheriff decide they're going to split up. And then uh, the sheriff runs into Jed and Glover. And he tells him that Bear went off on his own. And then Jed takes off to go find Bear. And then uh, when Jed finds Bear, Bear says he feels like somebody is following them. And at this point, Jed suggests that they use the pisser to flush him out, which turns out to be Jed takes a piss. And I guess the thought there is this person's going to feel like he's vulnerable and they're going to attack. And he would be correct, except the person who's doing the attacking is not Jason, but is in fact headless Mrs. Voorhees. And then Bear shoots Mrs. Voorhees. And it doesn't really seem to have much of an effect on her. Then at this point, we see the uh, sheriff and Glover, and they're having a bit of an argument because she doesn't like that he seems to know something, but he's not telling her what he knows. So he breaks down and tells her that his father was, in fact, the one who buried Jason, and that Jason wasn't dead when they buried him. So he's freaking out over the idea that he could very well be Jason who is stalking them since the box was empty. And then once again, they decide to split up. You just said, I think Jason is back, but then you're like, hey, let's go off on our own to try to find him.
1: Right. So this is kind of one of those safety and numbers scenarios.
0: Exactly. So then we go back to Bear and Headless Pamela, which we see him unloading on her with his semi-automatic. It really doesn't do shit to her. She just kind of shakes and rattles and bounces around a little bit. But the thing here that I thought was kind of interesting is that Bear doesn't seem to be the least bit affected by the fact that a headless corpse is walking around in the woods.
1: Apparently, Bear has seen some shit in his time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've all seen some shit, but I'm pretty sure if I saw a headless corpse walking around, I would see some shit dropping out in the back of my pants.
1: Right. And to be honest, I mean, you think Bear is firing his assault weapon at Mama Voorhees, You could pretty much figure that Bear isn't long for this world. Jason's not going to play this shit.
0: (laughs) Right. And speaking of, Jason apparently heard the gunfire because he shows up. And at this point, Bear decides he wants to have a fight. Round one, fight. He throws down his weapon and he puts his hands up, basically challenges Jason to a fight. And uh, he actually gets a couple of good blows in. (laughs) Knocks Jason around a little bit. But- oh, one thing I found ironic was he actually
1: punched him on the hockey mask. Yes. This is like when you're watching NFL games and the guys get into fights and they're punching each other in the friggin' helmet. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? That is meant to protect, well, I mean, in Jason's case, the hockey mask is meant to protect a puck traveling, what, 50, 60 miles an hour, however fast a hockey puck goes, to protect your face. And this dude thinks he's going to punch him in the hockey mask. Right. And apparently, it doesn't seem to affect his hands. So he must have some big old toughened up hams for hands.
0: Yes, he is definitely a badass, but not bad enough. Because after he gets a few good punches in, Jason grabs the machete and whips it across Bear's back, which knocks him to the ground. And then we see Jason shove his hand in, grab a hold of Bear's spine, and yank it out with the skull still attached. Uh, I'm not going to lie, this was kind of cheesy, but it was still a pretty cool effect.
1: I thought it was cheesy, but I thought in the same sense, it was pretty fucking badass. I mean, he went totally Mortal Kombat on uh, Bear there.
0: Right. The only thing it needed was we needed to hear. Finish him. (laughs) Fatality. So then Jed comes across Bear's gun and radio. So he hears a sound and he turns around, but Jason isn't there. Then when he turns back around, Jason is there. Jed swings his arm around with his gun to attempt to take a shot at Jason. But before he can do it, Jason slices his hand off with an ax. Well, actually Jason cut his whole arm off because then he whacks him with the arm and Jed being the badass that he is now has suddenly found his balls. And he says, is that all you've got motherfucker? And Jason hits him again. Uh, We hear what sounds like a cracking, like I'm assuming he broke his neck with the second blow. And Jed crumbles to the ground. Jason throws his arm down and walks off.
1: Let me tell you a story about a man named Jed. Jason Voorhees took his arm and hit him in the head.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jason sees his mother and she tells him, good boy, Jason. Mommy's pleased. But there are others still out there. Go and kill them all. So we see the sheriff and Glover lighting flares and leaving them on the ground. I I guess this is like a Hansel and Gretel type situation where they want to be able to find their way back. At one point, the sheriff lights a flare and it lights up Jason standing behind him. We cut to the flare hitting the ground and we hear a sound that kind of sounds like somebody being stabbed and there's an audible groaning sound. So we're not quite sure what happened, but something has definitely happened to the sheriff at this point. But we quickly find out that he is not dead because we see the sheriff run up to Glover. He grabs her and tells her to run. Then he falls to the ground. At this point, he's probably dead. But in his last ditch effort to save Glover, he expels his final breath, telling her to run. Um, And then we get Jason in one of his iconic moments where he comes busting out of a door to one of the cabins. And Glover, being the smart one, takes off running. At one point during this, she sees a sleeping bag with what appears to be a body inside of it hanging from a tree this was a bit confusing to me because i don't recall any scenes of any dead people being in sleeping bags or placed into sleeping bags
1: you know and i saw this too and i was like who the fuck was that but as you're saying that it starts to dawn on me which movie was it where Jason grabbed the woman in the sleeping bag and basically took the sleeping bag with both hands and proceeded to slam her ass into the tree repeatedly and proceeded to kill her that way. Do you think that might possibly be a nod to that scene from whichever movie that is? I can't recall which one. Do you know which one I'm talking about?
0: Yes, I believe part seven.
1: Okay, well, then that would fuck up the whole timeline that we were
0: talking about then. Well, yes and no. I mean... In the movie world, it would've happened afterwards, but in this world, it could have been just some random camper that was out there in the woods and he got a hold of him and smashed him against a tree, then hung him up there. I mean, it's all speculation, I guess. You just fill in the blanks with whatever you want the uh, explanation to be. At this point, Glover comes across an old cabin and I guess she feels this would be a good place to hide. So she sneaks inside of this cabin And we quickly realize it's Jason's house because his mother's head is sitting on the table with the candles around it. This scares the shit out of Glover and she backs away from it. Her back leans up against the wall and Jason's hand comes breaking through the wall and grabs a hold of her. She manages to break free and realizes there's a hole in the ground underneath some dead bodies that are laying there. So she moves the body, crawls underneath the or crawls into the hole, I should say, and pulls the body back over it, which is actually pretty smart. It seems like a pretty good hiding place except eh, we'll find out that it's not. However, uh, during this moment, when she's underneath the floorboard, she gets on the radio and starts calling in that she's at Crystal Lake and there's an officer down. Now we hear classical music playing and we see the back of a woman painting. And this seems very out of place because we really don't know what's going on. But this woman has a police scanner and she hears Glover on the radio she grabs a yellow raincoat and takes off out the door real quick then we get back to glover in the cabin jason is looking around for her and then uh, we see him look down as we're looking up from glover's view and it's obvious that he knows something is down there and he lets us know this because he shoves his machete down there glover manages to get out through the sidewall and she gets outside and takes off running while she's running she finds the sheriff and turns out he's not dead at all he's badly injured but still alive and kicking so the two of them take off running together sheriff gets tired and winded obviously you know he's not in very good shape and he kneels down to take a break glover continues on a couple steps and then stops and says come on we're almost there at this point we hear a chainsaw starting up and here comes jason now wielding a chainsaw
1: and I thought this was going to be time for the Trevor Morehouse cameo.
0: No, this is Jason paying homage to Trevor Morehouse with the chainsaw. He's like, this one's for you, buddy. Love you, Trev. But was the blade actually moving on this? I don't think it ever gets close enough to determine. Gotcha. But I'm going to say it probably was.
1: Yeah. Details, pal, details.
0: Right. So Sheriff and Glover take off running. Uh, of course, they both trip and fall to the ground. Jason runs up, he steps on the sheriff's arm and cuts off his hand or part of his hand. And then Glover shoots Jason and he falls to the ground. Then she scrambles across the ground and grabs the chainsaw. Her and Jason jump up. She spins around and shoves the chainsaw straight through Jason's midsection. We do get more CGI blood, but we also get a pretty nice effect of seeing the chainsaw going through his torso. I think this was done pretty good. I think this was pretty effective. Yeah, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, it was believable. I mean, it, there was no doubt what we were watching there. And then, of course, Jason collapses to the ground as one would do after having a chainsaw run through their body. And now we cut back to Jason's cabin and we see headless Pamela picking up her own head and she holds it up like she's showing Simba to the world in The Lion King.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There you go. <laughs> And then all of a sudden we're back at the uh, corrections farm they hear a vehicle pulling up and random officer opens the door and it's glover and the sheriff sheriff is in very bad shape obviously in desperate need of medical help
1: missing at least
0: a portion of a hand exactly um glover is trying to call for help when the power goes out and then at this point uh we do hear a chainsaw coming at him from quite a ways away but it's definitely getting closer they're telling random officer. Deputy
1: dipshit is what I have written down here.
0: Yes, deputy dipshit. He earns
1: that nickname as, you, as you'll quickly find out.
0: Yes, they're telling him to close the door, close the door, close the door. And what does he do? He stands there with the door open and looks out to see what's going on. And then uh, we see now no longer headless Pamela running towards him with the chainsaw. And before he has time to react, she runs the chainsaw right through his torso, much the same way Glover had just done to Jason. One thing to note during this is he wiggled a lot. That chainsaw was in his body and he was just a shimmying and a shaking.
1: Reverberation.
0: He was like he was on one of those old hotel beds. You put a quarter in and you go. (laughs) And then I also noticed this was one of the things that, that kind of bugged me. When Pamela was headless and her head was sitting on a table, it had empty eye sockets. But now she had eyes and they just didn't look right. It just threw me. They could have really easily avoided this by having the head have the eyes closed, like in the original, or part two, when we saw her head. That would have made it that much better, because it's like, how come all of a sudden now she has eyes?
1: She's stolen from one of the bodies left behind, possibly? I don't
0: know. Maybe, but I thought it kind of made her look goofy. I think she would have looked better if they would have found a way, even if they would have just cgi black over her eyes. I think it would have been more effective it would have been better but that's just a small little issue that i've got definitely doesn't detract from the enjoyment of the movie so uh random officer decides that uh, he's going to shoot pamela but pamela's having none of that and she slices his hand off with the chainsaw because they don't give a fuck about hands in this movie they're chopping them off left and right so then glover and the sheriff begin shooting at her with their pistols which much like bear's gun having no effect
1: yeah, this bitch, this bitch was running around earlier with no head on and was fired on with an assault weapon. You mean to tell me that your two little pissant pistols are going to do any kind of damage to her? I don't think so.
0: Right. At this point, I just want to reiterate the spoiler warning from the beginning because we're about to spoil a major part of this movie. This is one that if you have any intentions of watching this movie, you don't want this part spoiled. You want to have the, the moment of surprise when this happens. So if you're still considering watching this movie, please, by all means, stop the podcast now. Go watch the movie. Come back when you're done, and we'll go from there. Go ahead, do that now. We'll wait. And we're back. So at this point, Mrs. Voorhees turns around and she has a look of shock on her face as we see somebody wearing the yellow raincoat come in and they proceed to slice her head clean off. Then the person in the raincoat pulls the hood down and holy shit, it's Alice from the original Friday the 13th.
1: <gasps> dun, dun, dun.
0: This was legitimately Alice. This was Adrian King herself reprising her role as Alice and she turns to the remaining officers and says, I never thought I'd have to do that again, which I thought was a pretty clever line. But then at this point, Jason appears in the doorway, Alice spins around. And then she says, the boy. The boy. So apparently she realizes this is the boy from the lake and Jason sees his mother's head and takes off running towards Alice which she uh, shuts that down quick by shoving a machete straight through his chest or midsection and he drops to his knees. Then we see her reach up to a harness that she's wearing. She pulls out an ice pick and she says, you should have stayed at the bottom of that lake and shoves the ice pick into his temple, which as you know, if you've watched the original movies is exactly what he did to her at the beginning of part two. So she's getting a little revenge, giving him a taste of his own medicine.
1: Now, side note, you mentioned that Alice did realize that that was Jason, the boy. Now, I'm going to go on a limb and suggest that if the fact that she was within driving distance of Crystal Lake, I'm sure she's probably heard a little bit about Jason and the, you know, and the murders and the things that have happened at Crystal Lake, and she's probably put two and two together. So,
0: right. She probably has heard. I mean, I'm sure she had heard about Jason Voorhees. So she's probably heard the news of Jason Voorhees returning to Crystal Lake. So she just made the connection. Obviously, Jason would be the son of Pamela. And so this would obviously be Jason, who was the boy that she encountered. But at this point, Jason appears to be dead. Mrs. Voorhees appears to be dead. Alice grabs Mrs. Voorhees' head and she's walking out. The sheriff asks who she is. And she says, let's just say, I have history with the Voorhees family. And that would be the understatement of the year.
1: Well, basically what she said was, your father helped me when she needed it. And then at that point, she walks off with Pamela's head and he asks her what she's going to do with it. And she says, it's personal.
0: It's personal. Then she gets in her car and she drives away. Then we cut to the sheriff shoving the crate, which we assume now holds the body of Jason once again, off a dock into the lake. And then he tosses Jason's hockey mask on top of it. And we watch as it sinks into the, uh, to the ocean, into the lake. And we go back to Alice at her house. And as she's walking in, she receives a phone call. And the phone indicates that it's Dr. Field. And then we hear Dr. Field talking. And she says, uh, hey, this is Dr. Ginny Field. I was just calling to check on you. We've both been through a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought this was kind of cool because this was actually Amy Steele who played Jenny Field, the girl who survived, in Friday the 13th Part 2. So not only did we get the final girl from Part 1 showing up, but we get the final girl from Part 2, and it turns out that they know each other. Obviously, they had a connection with Jason. So I thought that was kind of a cool little uh, nod to the original.
1: Yeah, and a huge get from uh, the Red Crow films, getting both of these actresses from the original franchise to appear in a fan film did some massive selling to to convince them to do that so my hat is off to them
0: exactly because
1: it was definitely really fun for me when i realized that it was indeed alice uh i was a little bit slower on the draw than than you were and i had a suspicion who it could be but it wasn't until she was actually listening to the answering machine at towards the end that uh then her name was revealed i was like
0: oh shit it is her so (laughs) Right, we, we did get a shot where Glover pulls out a file from a filing cabinet, and it's a sheet indicating that Alice went into witness protection. It did have a diagram that had an arrow pointing to her head. So I'm assuming it probably mentions how she got stabbed in the head by the ice pick. And clearly she survived which some people might argue that's not possible, but I challenge you to go on the internet and Google people who have been impaled in the head and survived, and you'll find many uh, x-rays showing random horrible objects that have gotten shoved through people's heads and they've survived. So it is possible.
1: Now, I I have a a legitimate question. Who in the fuck is running the witness protection in the area of Crystal Lake? (laughs) I mean, Alice, we're going to take you into witness protection here we're going to move you 20 minutes away. So whatever you do, don't, you know, don't tell anybody who you are because you're only going to be a 15, 20 minute drive from Camp Crystal Lake. Right. There was nothing available like halfway across the country or, you know, Alaska, I mean, something like
0: that. Here's my thought on that. It's possible that they did move her across the country, but she came back on her own because she's clearly listening to the radio for a reason. So maybe she came back because she just had a thought in her mind that Jason may return someday and she just wanted to be there to do what she did.
1: Maybe she was just sitting there listening to the radio every day, painting, you know, looking all calm, but secretly she's thinking to herself, just give me a fucking reason. Just give me a fucking reason. And they finally did.
0: Exactly. But we will find out here in a second in a scene that I'm guessing you probably didn't see that she actually lives closer than you think. But before we get to that, we do get the final scene where we see her open a box and she places the head of Mrs. Voorhees into the box and says paybacks a bitch and slams the box shut, which kicks us into the credits. But then about a minute into the credits, we cut to a scene that shows the hockey mask laying on the shore of the lake and we see legs approaching. Obviously, it's Jason coming out of the water. Uh, we see the hand, which we now know is for sure Jason because of the long black fingernails, picks up the mask. He puts it on, which we do get a slight glimpse of his face. Then he turns and looks up at Alice's house up on the hill right off the lake. So she doesn't live 20 minutes away from Crystal Lake. She lives right up the hill from Crystal Lake. I
1: mean, I caught that end scene, but I did not catch the fact that he was looking up at up at her house. So...
0: Yes, because right before the scene where we saw her painting, it briefly shows her house on the outside, um, but not from that distance. But then when it showed it again, I'm like, oh, shit, that's her house. And he looks up at the house, which would indicate that I'm assuming he knows that's her house. So that would leave it hanging as far as if they decide to make a sequel, is he going after her? I mean, there's potential there for them to do a second one. Whether it happens or not, who knows? But. That is the end, once he looks up at her house, the credits roll, and there is nothing else after that. That brings us to the end of the movie, uh, which I quite enjoyed, obviously. That's why I suggested it to you, because I figured you would enjoy it as well, because we are both fans of the franchise, and this was a very well-made movie.
1: Yes, it was very well done. I was kind of dreading it after our first movie review of Bloody Murder. And you said a fan film. I'm like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? Wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but uh, yeah, within the first, you know, minute, two minutes, I was pleasantly surprised and yeah, it was incredibly enjoyable. And there were times that I almost forgot I was watching a fan film and thought I was legitimately watching something in the Friday the 13th canon. Exactly. Yeah, it was very, uh, very well done. Nice follow-up to that bullshit last week.
0: Well, I kind of figured uh, after watching Bloody Murder, which I feel was also a fan film, but a poorly made fan film, I figured it would be only appropriate to review a fan film that shows the proper love to the franchise. It doesn't just rip it off and say, oh, no, this isn't a Friday the 13th. You know, they're like all in on it. Like, yeah, this is a, a Jason movie. This is a Friday the 13th movie. We're giving you everything that you expect and a couple things you don't expect but are very happy to see, very pleasantly surprised to uh, see, such as Alice showing up and Ginny uh, showing up, or, and her voice, anyway, showing up at the end. So, with that being said, I'm going to jump into the ratings here. As you know, we rate on a scale of 1 to 10 corn cobs. So, I'm going to say I would give this one 7 out of 10 corn cobs because it wasn't perfect. There were a couple things that could have been done better, but it was very enjoyable and very well made. They definitely used their money very well. So I think it's a, a solid 7 out of 10 corn cobs for me.
1: I would give it 8 out of 10 corn cobs for a number of factors. I felt overall the kill scenes were absolutely fantastic, a lot of fun. The CGI blood and things that you referenced didn't necessarily stand out to me, but I wasn't watching for CGI blood. But uh Yeah, like the spine ripping scene, uh, machete through the back of the head and through the mouth. Uh, There were a number of things that I enjoyed. And then when you factor in the return of Alice at the end, it was a lot of fun for me. And like I said, I went into this with expectations very low and uh, it was a pleasant surprise. So, yeah, I give it an eight. There were some hokey things, you know, the walking around of Mrs. Voorhees' Headless Corpse. Was was a little cheesy. The ripping out of the spine, even though I loved it, was a little, little corny and a little over the top. But uh, definitely a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of the franchise, I would absolutely check this out.
0: Yes, definitely worth a watch. Um, even though if you've gotten this far, everything has been spoiled for you. But with that being said, I still think it would be uh, an enjoyable watch for you, even knowing what's going to happen. If for no other reason, just to appreciate the work that they put into this, the love that went into this, and, you know, how good the finished product actually is. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up here. But before we go, I just want to let you know that we are out there on social media. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Midwest Movie Maniacs. We're also on Slasher, if any of you are on Slasher, as Midwest Movie Maniacs. And you can always email us at Midwest Maniacs at gmail.com. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up here. Until next time, I'm Damien D.
1: And I'm Mark Storm.
0: And on that note, goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye, asshole.
1: Goodbye, asshole. You motherfucker.